You know the song, Every Child Knows He, Santa, knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake, so. Sing it with me. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not shout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. All right, that's all. That's all you need to do. But he knows if you've been bad or good. Many children are led to believe in learning that song that they have to be good enough in order to receive the gifts that they deserve on Christmas. And so they kind of fear throughout the year, maybe. I love the commercial some years ago where a little boy's writing a letter to Santa. Dear Santa, I've been a very, very good boy. And as he writes this, he remembers that he disobeyed his mom and dad and spilled on the carpet and he lied about it. And so he erased one of the varies. Dear Santa, I'm a very, I was a very good boy this year. And then he remembered something else that he did in disobedience to his parents. And, and so he erased another very. Dear God, I've been, I mean, dear Santa, I've been a good boy this year. And yet he remembers one other act of mischief. And so he gets an idea. He walks up to the plate where he left, left his snack for Santa. He goes to the cupboard. He grabs the whole box. And instead of one little Debbie snack cake, he dumps the whole bunch of snack cakes on the plate, and he stands there and smiles. End of commercial. Well, is that what it takes to gain Santa's favor? A whole box of little Debbie sand, uh, de- snack cakes? Couldn't he have at least asked for Hostess Ho-Ho-Hos, or uh, Dove Chocolate, or homemade molasses cookies, gingerbread cookies. What does it take to gain God's favor and experience His blessings in our life? One of the verses in the lectionary that was offered today comes from the Old Testament in Psalms. It says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? the one who has clean hearts and pure hands. The symbol for heart would be where our sin and righteousness would originate, sin or righteousness, and our hands would be where our sin or our righteousness would be carried out in acts. We need to have clean hearts and pure, or clean hands and pure hearts. Len McDonald writes about Bobby Moore, who was a famous footballer, or in America as we call it, soccer player. He was the captain of the team that won in 1966. And it was the only English team up to that point that had broken into this and had won the cup. Well, Bobby was the captain, and the Brazilian superstar Pele, have you heard of Pele? Pele called him the greatest defender who he had ever played against. At the turn of this century, Moore was actually named one of the hundred greatest Brits of all time. An interviewer asked Moore what it was like when he ascended ascended the stadium stairs up in the box where the Queen of England was to receive the Jules Rimmett Trophy from Queen Elizabeth II. It must have been a wonderful experience to do that before the home crowd, the interviewer gushed. Actually, Moore said, it was terrifying. He continued, I was going up the steps, and I realized that the Queen of England was wearing white gloves, and I looked at my hands, and my hands were covered in Wembley mud and dirt. 
How could I shake the hands with her like this and get her white gloves dirty? And so when you watch the footage of this ceremony, you can see Bobby Moore wiping desperately his hands on his shorts as he was ascending those steps. And then he came close to a table and there was a velvet tablecloth. He even wiped his hands on the tablecloth. For the English football fans, it was one of the more enduring images that they received on television. For centuries, theologians had been pondering this question. How can people with dirty hands and impure hearts ascend into the presence of a holy God? How can we approach the deity whose essential nature is infinitely purer and whiter than than the gloves of Queen Elizabeth? The answer emerges when we read the first part of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Then if you skip down 13 verses, you come to verse 14, and it tells us who this word was. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Throughout the Old Testament times, we read about these prophets who God sent to help us understand who God was. But then in the beginning of the New Testament, the first four Gospels, we read about another way that God chose to communicate with us. And he did so in a fundamentally different way. God sent the word to us. And the word became flesh, namely the baby Jesus. And he made his dwelling among us. This word made his dwelling comes from one Greek word, eskinosin, which literally means he pitched tent with us. Which gives us the image of The Exodus story when the Israelites were trying to make it to the promised land and for 40 years every night they would pitch their tents and then they'd move to the next location and pitch their tents. And it was as if God was saying, I came and I was in your midst. I pitched your tent right next to your tents. In contemporary language, we might say that God buys a house in our subdivision or he moves into the apartment just down the hall. God revealed himself by becoming one of us And then by choosing to live with us. He didn't wait for us to be worthy enough to ascend his holy hill with clean hands and pure hearts. Because we tried to over and over again throughout God's word and we failed. We stumbled back down the hill as it were were, and never made it to the top because of our sin. And so God did something different. He descended to us. And that's what we celebrate this Christmas. Emmanuel God comes to us. Robert Oppenheimer suggested that the best way to present an idea is to wrap it up in a person. Or as one little girl said in Sunday school, people don't hear, couldn't hear God, God's whisper, and so he said it out loud through Jesus. Well, the Queen of England would never have condescended down into the Wembley Stadium to meet Bobby Moore that day. Queens don't do that. But the king did, the king of kings. He descended from his throne in heaven, and he came down to us. He didn't wait for us to have clean hands and pure hearts because he knew that we couldn't because of our sinful natures. So he came down to us. He got his hands dirty, and he pitched his tent in our neighborhood. And that's exactly where you find Jesus this week in the midst of whatever mire or muck 
that, that we're facing this week. But when God came down to us in Christ, he didn't just do so simply to introduce himself, hang out with us for a while, and let us know that he loves us. He didn't come down just to set an example for us. This is how you have clean hearts and a, and a pure heart. Just do this, 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 and this. If that were so, then our salvation would be dependent upon our self-efforts, our self-righteousness. But we can't because our righteousness is like filthy rags in God's sight. The truth is we couldn't be good or pure enough by our own efforts. Our stain of sin was sort of like a grape juice stain on a white shirt. And it's set and it will never come out. The stain of sin. So how can we attain clean hearts, clean hands and pure hearts? Well, Jesus came down to us for that ultimate purpose. He was born in order to die in our place so that he might remove our dirty hands and impure hearts and replace them. Christmas is forever linked with Easter. A great exchange took place that Easter on the cross. We're right about to enter the season of returning and exchanging after Christmas, where we endure these long lines in the next picture, these long lines um, in a department stores. Yeah, like that. And, uh, and man, that's a headache. Or you might box up uh, your shirt or your electronic and resend it to Amazon, wait for the unbroken one to come back. So it's a waiting game, but it's a season of exchange. Well, what was exchanged on the cross? What was exchanged was our sin, our uncleanness, our impurity was put upon the cross, upon Jesus' body. Ultimately, our sin would result in our eternal destruction and separation from God. But what was exchanged was our sin on the cross for Jesus' righteousness and purity and goodness. A great exchange took place that day because of his amazing grace. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. We became righteous because of what Jesus did for us. He was born for us. He lived for us. He died for us that we might have his righteousness and his life. 2 Corinthians says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or as the New Living Translation says, for God made Christ who had never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So this righteousness didn't come through imitation. It didn't come through isolation and, and staying away from the bad people or the bad things. It came through inhabitation. When we invite Jesus to come into our lives, he inhabits us. He sends his spirit to live within us in order to redeem us from our sin and to renew us and to redesign us, remake us into the people that he originally intended for us to be. He's the one that offers us his clean hands and pure heart. Jesus died to forgive our sins, and then he rose again to give us life, his life. And to all who received him, to those who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God.
Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, came not only to live on this earth for us, he came to die for us and live in us. Not just live for us, but live in us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas and Easter. He exchanged our impurity for the purity of Jesus, our sinful life for his righteous life. And so we're told in Matthew 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Santa knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Well, Jesus knows full well that we can't be good enough to stand before a holy, righteous, and pure God. We can't in and of ourselves. And so he did something that Santa could never do. He came down to us to make us good by offering us himself, his goodness. He died on the cross to offer us forgiveness, but then he rose again to offer us his life, eternal life. That's the only way we can stand before a holy and righteous God. Not by trying to imitate or by checking off a list of do's and don'ts, because we all fall short. We all fall dismally short. But we do so by receiving Christ and his righteousness. The result will be our clean hands and our pure hearts, allowing us to stand before a righteous and holy God. But, but as with any gift at Christmas, we must receive that gift. We must open that gift. What gift? The gift that came to us in a baby 2,000 years ago who grew up in order to die for us on the cross, in order to rise again for us, in order to offer us his life by his spirit and to change us, make, make us his children. That's the meaning of Christmas. That's why we celebrate his presence. So God isn't just somewhere up there in heaven sitting on a throne. He's right here with us through his son, Jesus. And Jesus is here right before us. We celebrate his birth to us because it means our salvation, our life eternal. Let's pray. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you um, that you are here today and that you stand right here before us, extending this gift of forgiveness to each one of us and this gift of life eternal, but also life to live and stand before you as righteous ones before your sight because of your son, Jesus, living inside of us. Lord Jesus, if there's someone in here who has never done that, I pray, Lord, that this Christmas in 2021, this will be the day that they say, Jesus, I want to receive this gift of eternal life. The reason that you came to us to begin with, I want to receive you, that I might stand righteous before our Heavenly Father and be fit for heaven one day. Lord Jesus, come to each one of us now as we celebrate your presence And as we sing about this holy night you were born, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.